welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. Hello, everybody. This is Evelyn Hershkowitz, Rita Services Librarian on Turn the Page, Syosset Library's podcast. I'm here today with Ellen Weisman. On the book, though, she goes by Ellen Marie Wiseman, and we're here to talk about the Lost Girls of Willowbrook. So I'm just going to tell you a little bit about Ellen, and then we'll get on with a conversation with her. Ellen Wiseman is a New York Times bestselling author of highly acclaimed novels based on real historical events and social injustices. Whether evoking the immigrant experience of the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic in the orphan collector, the haunting treatment of the 1930s asylum Patients in what she left behind, the resilience of children exposed to atrocious conditions in an early 1900s coal town in Coal River, or the lives reflected in the plum trees, plum tree, the life she was given, and the lost girls of Willowbrook. Wiseman's novels are praised for the compassion, authenticity, and depth with which they explore subjects often ignored or forgotten. Born and raised in Three Mile Bay, a teeny hamlet in northern New York. She's a first-generation German-American who discovered her love of reading and writing while attending first grade in one of the last one-room schoolhouses in New York State. Since then, her novels have been translated into 20 languages and published worldwide. A mother of two, Ellen lives on the shores of Lake Ontario with her husband and dog. So Ellen, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to be talking about The Lost Girls of Willowbrook, which comes out on August 30th, 2022. And for all of you Syosset patron listeners, the book will be available in print form and it'll also be available in audiobook and ebook. So please get your reserves in, call us at the Reader Services desk and we'll be happy to do that for you. So thank you, Ellen, for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. You're very, very welcome. And why don't we tell everybody what The Lost Girls of Willowbrook is about? Well, um, The Lost Girls of Willowbrook is set at the Willowbrook State School on Staten Island in um, 1970s, early 1970s. And uh, Willowbrook State School is was a real life uh, institution. It was a New York State institution. And um, it was the um, school that Geraldo Rivera did an expose on in 1972. And it eventually was closed down. You know, he exposed the terrible conditions there and stuff. And it was ex- eventually closed down, but it took about uh, 15 years. But um, so Lost Girls of Willowbrook is about a young girl who believes that her twin sister had died from pneumonia six years previously. And she finds out that her sister is actually alive and was committed to Willowbrook. And so she wants to find out what happened to her sister. And so she, so she goes to Willowbrook. She doesn't really know that much about it other than the rumors and the urban legends that she's heard about the place. So she goes to Willowbrook and she wants to help with a search for her sister, but the doctors and everyone thinks that she's the missing twin. And so they commit her. And so she has to figure out what happened to her twin. And, and so she doesn't, you know, so she can find her and she also doesn't get committed for the rest of her life. Right. So those of us who live around here, we've all heard of Willowbrook. I can't believe it took 15 years to close that place out. I know. I think it might have been longer. I, I, for some reason, I'm getting the number mixed up in my okay. head right at the moment. It was either 15 or 20 years. Yeah. It's been, I mean, it's been uh, 35 years since it closed. 
Right. And um, this year is actually the 50th anniversary of um, Geraldo Rivera's expose. Wow. Yeah. And I didn't even know that when I wrote the book. Really? Yeah. What kind of research did you have to do? Was it grueling and hard to take? It was very hard to take. Um, you know, I write about really tough subjects. I've written about the Holocaust and child labor and all of those kinds of things. Spanish and, flu, yes. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I bought several books on, on the subject, but the one that really helped me the most was the history and sociology of Willowbrook State School. And that was written by several um, people, but one of them was one of the doctors that helped close it down. And that book was really, really tough to read, but it was it was beyond heartbreaking, but it was a fascinating look at how that place was allowed to happen. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, after reading it, I, I can't even believe what these young people had to go through. It's right. just and and I actually toned it down. Did I, you? It, it was much worse than wow. Yeah, but it was just too horrendous to, you know, tell the honest, honest truth in, in a in a novel. Yeah, no, it, it just, you know, it was sad, very sad at the beginning. It was overwhelmingly sad. And mm -hmm. then there was a mystery. So it picked up. Right. And, and then it was like, I couldn't put it down. It was just so yeah. good. It got, it was just so good. So yeah. thank you for writing. <laughs> well, thank you for reading it. I like to, I like to, you know, write about these historical events by adding an interesting story to it, because otherwise right. people don't just want to read about the history and stuff. They want to have a story. Um, so I want to try to keep people to keep turning the pages. It's unbelievable that they allowed this to happen in New York State. Hopefully there yeah. are many other places that were like this, but unfortunately there probably were. Right. And, you know, the, the, they, all the um, patients uh, were move to smaller homes and stuff, but there, you know, there's still some abuse going on and the, and the fight for disability rights is still ongoing even after all this time. And, and, you know, we always say we have to remember the Holocaust and we have to remember what happened, but we need to remember the things that happened, you know, here and more recently also. Yeah. Right in our state. Right. right. It's horrible, 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 horrible. Did you watch the Geraldo piece? I'm sure you watched that. I did. It was, it's very, heartbreaking yeah I mean you put that in the book yes yes I wanted to you know it was such yeah. a big a big deal and it really kind of helped the plot a little bit so right well if it wasn't for him who knows how long it would have been till they discovered what was going on exactly I, I mean, mean I know that there was there was patients and doctors and and also journalists writing about it but it really took people to see it with their own eyes on on national television for them to really get upset right yeah yeah. Craziness. Mm -hmm. Crazy, crazy. And how did you come up with the story? I mean, how did you figure well, out? It, interestingly enough, I was first heard about Willowbrook through a documentary called Cropsy, which is about an urban legend about a serial killer that was kind of connected to Willowbrook. And, um, you know, I thought, what is this Willowbrook place? I'd never heard of it. And so I started researching it more. And then I realized that that was the place that Geraldo Rivera had um, done the expose on and stuff. And it all just kind of came together. Um, and I wanted to tell the story from someone who didn't belong there rather than someone 
just trying to help someone in there because I wanted to get that more intimate and visceral um, experience, you know, by writing from the point of view from someone on the inside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How long did it take you to write this book? Um, about two and a half years. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I had like, I was on a deadline. It was two years. The, the deadline was two years, but there was a lot going on during that time because it was during COVID and all that stuff. So yeah. I think my editor was like, it's okay. You can take a little longer if you need to, you know. Right. Because it can be hard to concentrate when all everything is kind of yeah. strange around you. <laughs> well, you live upstate New York on Lake Ontario. Yes, I do. So what's going on up there? Everything okay with COVID or? Yeah, everything seems to be not too bad, but I know it's still around. Yeah. You know, I think it's not being reported as much. Mm-hmm. How far are you from Oswego? That's where I went to school. Um, About an hour and a half. My daughter oh. went there too. Oh, did she? Yeah. And I know you, you like their bookstore, River End. Yep, yep. You okay. can actually order signed copies of this book from them from river and in oswego new york yeah they have a link on their on their website to um orders you know and get them personalized too if you want them to somebody oh that's great are you going to be out on the road with this book promoting it yeah um i'm doing quite a few things locally and i'm also going to do an event at river's end oh great and then i'm going to be at um, in Manhattan at a library in Manhattan, Hudson Park, I think. Oh dear, I can't remember the name of it right now. Oh, okay. <laughs> is, it on your, is it on your website? Can people go to your website and find it? It's not yet, but it will be. Okay. Um, I, I can send you the the little graphic that my publicist made for me so far. And, okay. and she's going to be setting up other events um, in Manhattan and possibly on Staten Island too. So Okay, um, great. Yeah. Okay, that's wonderful. So those of us listening in the area, if you want to see Ellen, you could contact me and I could give you the information or you can go to her website. So you'll be able to find all that information there. Right. And I'm, um, the one at the library, I'm also going to be one of the doctors that was instrumental in closing the place down will be there. And he's going to it's going to be him and I in conversation about Willowbrook. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Are you going that's to the a- site where Willowbrook was? Is that uh, Willowbrook, It's it's the College of Staten Island now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, we're trying to set up something there. We're not sure if it's going to happen or not, but um, mm-hmm. I know that my publicist is is working on it. And actually the the doctor who gave Geraldo Rivera the key has read the book too. Oh, how nice. Yeah. So that was pretty amazing. He, he said he ma- it made him feel proud that he was part of closing it down. Mm-hmm. He was yeah. a doctor that was actually working there? Yeah. He, he was the one that got fired and then gave Geraldo Rivera the key. Okay. Is it, yep. is the character in the book based on him? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's his name too. Oh, it's you... uh, Dr. Wilkins. Okay. So, so you use real names in the book. Yeah. For certain things, like I use Geraldo Rivera and I use right. um, Dr. Wilkins and a few other people too. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. wow. Is this book going to be, I'm assuming it's going to be out on audio. Yes. Did you have anybody, did you get to pick the audio narrator? No, normally the audio recording company just buys the rights from my publisher and then they Mm -hmm. decide who's doing it. 
Yeah, no, I read it because I wasn't able to find the audio book because it's not out yet, obviously. Right. So, yeah. But I, I love to listen to the audio book. I'm sure this will make a very, very good audio book. Yeah. I'm sure it'll Hopefully. be really great. Yeah. So are you working on anything else? What's your next topic? Um, actually, I am working on something else. It's it's kind of a broad topic, so I'm kind of having a hard time reining it in uh, right mm-hmm. now, but it's um, eugenics in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what exactly is that? Um, it's the belief, well, there was some um, eugenicists in America that, you know, trying to create the master race. Oh. Um, you know, they sterilized people that didn't really consent to it. And um, it all kind of ties in together It all, you know, they kind of are some of the people that came up with the ideas of of making places like Willowbrook and insane asylums, you know, let's just sh- shut these people off from society. Um, you know, back in the twenties and stuff, you'd, you'd be able to see, you know, propaganda signs about, you know, every 15 minute, every 15 seconds, somebody who is born that is a burden on society and stuff. Oh, wow. And uh, like the Carnegie Institute is actually the place that actually came up with the idea for gas chambers and, Adolf Hitler wrote the top eugenesis in America, like fan letters and stuff. So it's crazy. It's crazy. You know, they used to have the better baby contest at the fair, um, you know, so they would pick out the ideal family and this is what you are aspired to. And, you know, they'd sterilize people that they didn't think should have kids. And Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> you really get into these tough topics. I do. I do. I like to write about things that people don't know about, sure. learn about in school, you know. No, absolutely. I think this book will open a lot of people's eyes that had no idea that this even took place. You know, they might not have seen the Geraldo Rivera thing because they were too young, you know, exactly. or weren't even born yet. I mean, if it's 50 right. years, there's plenty of people out there. I'm sure my children have no idea. Right. So, Mine either. Yeah. So this you will know? definitely open their eyes to you know we have to like uh remember that you know we can't let that a place like that happen again and i think it's i hope it's going to be a reminder that we need to be more protective of of the most uh vulnerable among us and treat them with kindness and compassion and they have as many rights as as we do so right absolutely and i mean i think medicine has come a long way also in 50 years Right. And a lot of these people, if they're medicated, they won't don't need to be in these kind of exactly. places. They can and, be out and, and function in society. Right. right. And and you know, people were put there, kids were put there for, you know, things like epilepsy or just, you know, yeah. things that we know how to take care of now. Right. And, and it also became a dumping ground for people that didn't either just didn't want their kids or like foster kids that they couldn't place. Or, you know, sometimes they would find kids, kids would be left at like a train station with a sign around their neck that said, take me to Willowbrook. So there was kids there that didn't even belong there at all. And um, well, none of the kids belong there because it was a terrible place. It was overfunded and not underfunded and overcrowded and understaffed understaffed and all of that. So, um, but I also read like accounts of like well-to-do families that didn't know how to deal with their teenager, they would pay to have their IQ test lowered so they could admit them to Willowbrook. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, you know, of course these kids, they, 
you know, they grew up in there. So there was adults there that had been there their whole lives, you know? Yeah. So it's a, it was a pretty terrible place. And it was actually called Willowbrook School, but yet there was no schooling going on at all. Right. Very, very little schooling going on. Um, more so for the kids that were subjected to uh, medical experiments. There was such a long waiting list for kids to be put there that sometimes parents would agree to let their kids have certain vaccinations and things, um, trial, you know, be in trials for vaccinations. But the way I've read some of the letters that like the doctors and stuff sent to the parents and it was very misleading. It was like, well, this, you know, this, especially like hepatitis was a big uh, medical experiment there. Um, hepatitis vaccines and you know the the letters that they sent to the parents were misleading saying like you know there's there's a lot of hepatitis here and there was because it's very contagious and this will protect your child and if you agree to let them have this vaccination or be in this trial I don't even think they said called it a trial you know they will have better rooms and they will get some schooling and things like that so you know there was there was uh I think at one point, 70 different medical experiments going on there. And uh, a lot of that was funded by, by the Defense Department. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. How many people were housed there altogether? Well, it was um, supposed to hold like four, 4,000, but it got up to in the 60s, it, it got up to like six 6,000. And when it closed, it was about 6,000. That's unbelievable. But how do you right. even how do you even staff a place? To take right. care of 6,000 people. And that was, you know, part of the problem. The, the, it was very hard to get staff and they just would hire anybody without doing any background checks, you know, mm. ex-criminals and things like that. And it, you know, it was such an underground city almost because it was closed off from the public that it had its own hierarchy in society. And, um, you know, the, the staff didn't trust the nurses because they thought they were reporting to administration and the staff was, like if they were, they were afraid of each, each other because, you know, if you tried to rat on somebody by see, seeing them do something wrong, you know, you could walk out to the parking lot and get beat up or have your tires slashed or whatever. But it was such a, like an underground city that, you know, the staff could buy and sell everything from jewelry to drugs to meat. To, it was just crazy. Wow. So and it wasn't, wasn't a great place to live and it certainly wasn't a great place to work either. Exactly. And like you said, there was so many people there, you know, there'd be like one or two attendants taking care of like 70 people. Wow. And that, and it was just an, enough of a job just to keep them clean and fed and, and under control. And, you know, the staff were helpless too. you know, of course, like anywhere, like any institution or any place, you have people that did terrible things and you have people that did really good things, you know, there's, cause there was also, you know, reports of staff buying soap and deodorant and things for the for the inmates i say inmates because that's what dr dr um wilkins called them he said they weren't patients they were inmates yeah. but um and i call them residents in the book because it's such a they weren't really patients because they weren't really being taken care of right they weren't being um, treated for anything right so um yeah, there was a huge staffing problem and trying to take care of that many people, but they, 
they didn't train the staff either. And, the, you know, to get through the day sometimes without everybody getting somebody getting hurt or whatever, you know, they had to resort to like straight jackets and tying people to their beds and things like that, you know? So it was just a whole chaos playing off each other problem. Um, very difficult. Sure, the, administ the administration was more worried about, you know, the paper and, you know, paperwork. And, you know, if, if, even if somebody didn't really need to be there, they'd want to keep them there to get the money for them. You know what I mean? So. Right. Cause it was state funded and right. I, it's just amazing to me that nobody in the state was able to do anything. Mm -hmm. They just let this well, go even, on. Even, uh, you know, they had politicians there. Kennedy had gone through it and said it was a snake pit and that still didn't change it. You oh know? my gosh, really? Yeah. I think it says that something about that in the, in the back of the book, mm -hmm. you know? Wow. Well, people were aware, but not enough people were aware. Right. I guess until it was broadcast on television. Exactly. Right. But like you said, it still took years and years to close the place down. Right. I mean, I guess, what do you do with all these people? You can't just let them out. You exactly. have to find safe places for them to be. Right. Yeah, it's it's really sad, but it's a sad, sad story, but it's a great book. So I just Thank want you. everybody to know, you Thank know, you. it's these things have to be have to be brought out to the public. People have to know about it. Right. You know, and I hope that people will will be, you know, inspired by the main characters, you know, resiliency in her sure. her her ability to turn, you know, you know what she does at the end of the book and her ability to turn heartbreak into, into something good. You know, she ended up turning things around for herself. And right. Was she based on anybody? Um, no, not really. I can't really say, <laughs> I can't really, no, <laughs> no, she wasn't. <laughs> okay. Part of the, the very end. Yeah. And I'm not going to say what that is. Right um was based on a real person okay do you know what part i'm talking about yes i do okay i do okay i don't right. want to give right it's really hard to sometimes to talk about a book and not give things away right no it always is i always like that's why i always like the author to be the one that tells what the story's about because i don't want to give anything away right. i don't want to be the one that ruins it for anybody Right. I, I really don't. Now, when you write books like this, do you have it all planned out? I mean, is it? I usually try to have an outline. Um, mm -hmm. And I usually, I like to know the ending because I'm always on a deadline and, um, you know, I don't have like six months to, you know, go down the wrong road, go write it, you know, write for six months and say, oh, this isn't working. I need to start over. So yeah. I do try to have an outline. And um, as long as I know the ending, I'm pretty you know, free to, I don't always follow the outline exactly. I'm kind of free to meander around if I want to, as long as I know where I'm going. Is that where you write, right? Where you're sitting now or? Yeah, there, That's your in office? here or outside on my deck in the summertime. Or, uh -huh. you know. It must be beautiful overlooking the lake, huh? Yeah. Yeah, it is. That's so nice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I lived for four years right on the lake, so I know yeah. it's, it's very nice. It very, is very peaceful to live on a lake. No mm -hmm. doubt about that. That's a beautiful, beautiful place to be. Yes, Winters are tough though. <laughs> right, right. You got to take the good with the bad. It's not always all good. I wish, I wish summer was a little longer than it is, yeah. but 
Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. winters are winters are a killer up there. <laughs> <laughs> so what other do you have like a list of all these social injustices that you want to write about? Um, yeah, you know, sometimes I do. I do come up with a list, but some of them are not. I, I haven't figured out how to make them into a novel yet, but I'm always looking for ideas. So if any readers have any ideas, that's I'm always <laughs> open to ideas. Like, you know, the reader or the, the idea for the orphan collector actually came from a reader. Because oh, wow. she asked me if I'd heard of the Spanish flu. And I had, but not as, you know, once I started researching it and learned more about it, it was like, wow, why don't we know more about this? You right. know, and it's, it's the same with Willowbrook. Why don't we know that this happened in this, in this country? And it, and Willowbrook wasn't the only place. There was a lot of institutions around this country like that, you know. And I, I think that they, to a smaller degree, still exist in certain places, you know. Um, maybe not these warehouses like that was, but even some of these smaller homes are maybe not run the way that they should be. Unbelievable. What number book is this, Ellen? Uh, this is number six. Okay. Yeah. What did you do before you were writing? Um, I was part-time bookkeeper at my family's business. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I, you know, I used to write as a hobby when I was bringing up my kids and then when they graduated and stuff, I just decided to get serious about it. And that's when I, I knew I had to write the plum tree because that was based on my family, um, in World War II in Germany. So that was the one that got me going. Mm -hmm. So that was the first book you wrote and it got published right yeah. away huh yeah well not right away it took me two years to okay find an agent yeah uh-huh. that's not so bad I've heard what I know it's not <laughs> it's not as bad yeah so you always wanted to be an author you knew that that was your passion and I really didn't because I okay. I went to um a tiny tiny high school there was like 400 kids well not even a high school it was 400 kids in K through 12 and so there was no creative writing courses offered there so I really hadn't even explored it in school and I didn't go to college. So mm-hmm. I just was a big reader, you know, and I always thought it would be fun to be a writer. And sometimes it's fun and sometimes it's very difficult. <laughs> so what are some of your favorite authors? Oh, gee, I, that's hard because I like so many different. I mean, my first love was Stephen King and Dean Koontz and Anne Rice and all of that stuff. But mm-hmm. yeah, I read all, all sorts of all over the place so what have you read recently um what did i oh oh the one that i just read recently that i loved was the second mrs astor mm-hmm. do you know have you read that one read, no i haven't read that one um it's i her name is hard to pronounce Shan, shanna abe abe i believe mm-hmm. um and it's about the titanic but it's yeah. just it's a beautiful I've it's just a beautiful written beautifully written book and I just loved it and it's got a fantastic storyline even though you kind of know what happens in the end but right. you're hoping through the whole thing you're hoping through the whole thing that things are going to turn out better than they did but it's <laughs> yeah. I, that was just a beautiful book okay I'm gonna look that one up that sounds right mm-hmm. up my alley I like reading about second Mrs. Astor okay got it I'm gonna yep. look I'm gonna look to read that Add it to my ever-growing list of books. Right. But that's not a bad thing. You know, right. luckily there are authors like you that are out there writing great books that we can all enjoy. Well, thank you. 
Yeah. No, thank you. I mean, there's nothing I like better than a good story. And this was definitely, this one got you, good story, got you Very going. Well. I have to say, I, I really, I, I enjoyed it. Thank you. Much. Yeah. I just couldn't stop once I got going. I, <laughs> that's great to I hear. Like, that's what I, that's what I yeah. try to, I want, I want people to keep turning the pages, you know? I did. I definitely yeah. just kept turning the pages until I was finished. Awesome. <laughs> And I think it'll make, it'll make a great book discussion. Yeah. I think yeah, it I think definitely so will. It'll be a good, good discussion. So those of you out there who like to do book discussions, this is, this is a good one. So mm-hmm. I highly recommend it. So I thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you for having me and thank you for reading my book. Oh, you're so welcome. Hopefully it's a little cooler by you right off on the lake there. Yeah, it's down here. Bad. Just know when you come down to New York area, it's a little hot and humid down here. Oh, I know. <laughs> Even in September, right? Yeah, it's hot and humid. Yeah. Well, we might you might get lucky if you're coming down the end of August or not till the beginning of September. Um, sometime after the fifteenth of September. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, the, the um the event at the uh, it's Hudson something library. I think it is it Hudson Park. I'm not sure. Um, that is the twenty first. Mm-hmm. of September. Okay. We'll all look forward to hearing about that and hopefully we can make it there. Yeah, that would so, be awesome. Yeah. So Ellen, thank you so much for joining us. This is Evelyn signing off from Turn the Page podcast from the Syasa Public Library. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Ellen Weisman. It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode.